0: And turn to Mark chapter number eight. Mark chapter number eight. Next Sunday is Vision Sunday, and we'll uh, share and reveal our theme for the year next Sunday morning. Uh, But I want to kind of prepare the way for our theme next year. And while you're turning, let me just uh, encourage you and just remind you of two things. Number one, Today was supposed to be, you know, before everything changed with the weather, uh, today was supposed to be Baby Dedication Sunday, and we have rescheduled that uh, to two options. One of them is already full. Uh, Our next Baby Dedication Sunday will be February the 4th, and we already have multiple families who are going to participate that day. And then the next opportunity is March the 10th, March the 10th. So February 4th, March the 10th, and you can find both of those dates on our website, And you can go there. You can register just so that we have names of families who will be planning to be here that day uh, so that when we call you, uh, you're not like, what are you talking about? I don't even know. Uh, So uh, those are the two options. If you'd like to be a part of that or you have a child that you'd like to dedicate to the Lord of any age, uh, we would invite you to be a part of that service. And then three weeks from now, we will have two services on Sunday morning. And so different service option at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. You should have received an email late during the night. Some winter elves were still sending out packages and emails. And so uh, you should have received an email overnight. If you did get that, please click on that and fill out a brief survey that's there. We're just trying to gauge who's going to be here at what time really just for more or less our kids' workers so that we know what to prepare for, how many we're preparing for to be adequately ready to receive your children in both settings. We're still going to have nursery and safe house in both of those services, but we need to know if you're planning to be here for both those services. So if you could help us with that, uh, that would be great, and we look forward to that. And if you say, well, Pastor, I, I don't know which one to come, which, which one's going to be better? They're both going to be the same. Okay, Uh, so we're still going to be here 8 o'clock and 10.30 with Sunday school at 9.30. And so if you'd like to come early and then stay for Sunday school right after, but the services, music will be the same, message will be the same. So we just want you to pick one and be a part and then find somewhere you can serve. We have a lot of opportunities to serve with two services. That means more volunteers, more people trying to uh, share the load as much as possible. So uh, if you can do that, that would be a big help. If you were asked this question this morning, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Most people would say, without a doubt, without hesitation, wouldn't even bat an eye, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, especially in this kind of setting. Hey, are you coming into church and you sing the songs, you know some of the words, and you say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. But that's easy to do in here. That's easy to say in this room. Inside these walls. But what about when times get tough? What about when things happen that you don't expect? What about when you get news that you are not anticipating? Because that's where the disciples find themselves here in Mark chapter number 8. They're getting ready to hear Jesus' destiny. What he came to do. Because up to this point, it's been flashbang. It's been, oh, man, look at all of the wonders and the miracles that Jesus has done and all the people he's healed and uh, the dead have been raised to life. All of that has happened. But what about when things don't go the way you anticipate them to go? And that's what they're getting ready to find. You know, it is a new year for us with new goals. Most of us are on diets. You know we we're all grouchy this morning because they have you haven't had breakfast at least what you would like to have for breakfast. Uh, you know we've all we've all flooded the gyms. We've you know, all these different things made new resolutions that most of us have already uh, fudged on just a little bit. Uh, but whatever it is, when you hit that wall where you have to decide, are you going to stick to what you committed to? Are you going to be faithful to what you said? You were going to do. And Jesus is going to test the disciples today. And it's a test that we all have to answer as well. So let's look at Mark chapter 8. Look at verse 22. Mark 8 verse 22. And the Bible says, And he cometh to Bethsaida. And they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him, asked him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Now get this. When he had spit on his eyes. That's not traditional. That's not conventional. When he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked if he saw aught. Hey, can you see? This is a blind man. Can you see? The very next verse, verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. My vision is, I was blind. Now it's blurry and I can't see clearly in verse number 25. And when he had put his hands upon his eyes and made him look up and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Not being able to see at all and then saw some and then saw clearly. That progression. So let's see what the passage has to teach us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for the day. Please speak to our hearts. Please give me what I stand in need of today. Lord, on this very first Sunday of 2024, Lord, help us to see the question that the disciples are being asked. And Lord, help us to answer it appropriately. Lord, help us to search our hearts and see if the question they responded with is the question that we would respond with. Lord, please speak to my heart. Cleanse me of any unconfessed sin in my heart and life. And help me to be clean this morning. Please speak through me today. And if there's one here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, please help them to see their need and call out to you today. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down three thoughts. Number one is the blind man. The blind man. There are two main stories in our text today. and We see, number one, this blind man. Bethsaida is located on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a familiar place. It's where Jesus has done miracles before. The feeding of the 5,000 was there. Uh, Bethsaida is where Jesus went when he heard the news of John the Baptist's death. So this is not a new place. It's a place they'd been before. It was also the hometown of three of the disciples. This is Peter's hometown. This is Andrew's hometown. This is Philip's hometown. So not a new place, but a familiar place. And when he arrives, because he had been known there before, because the crowd has dispersed after he fed at least 5,000 men when he shows up there's a crowd that gathers and it says in verse number 22 that there were friends involved these friends bring their friend to Jesus in both the miracle in mark chapter 7 when Jesus healed the man there in mark chapter number 7 the deaf man that was there and here in mark chapter number 8 Jesus was or excuse me the friends brought someone to Jesus for healing the only time this This miracle, these two miracles are mentioned is in Mark's gospel. The deaf man and this blind man who Jesus is going to spit on his eyes and then touch him and heal him. Both cases, Jesus leads both of these people outside of town for healing. Not a lot of people know why and it's still speculative. Schofield, the Bible commentator, believed that it was because Jesus had pronounced judgment on Bethsaida as an unbelieving place. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 and 21, it says, Then began he to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. And he said, Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. Those two places didn't believe, wouldn't turn, wouldn't receive, and so Jesus pronounced judgment. But while this area wasn't known for their belief, there were still people who did believe in Jesus, who did follow him. It's a great reminder for us that even though we might not live in a predominant Christian culture today, there are still a few that still believe in Jesus. There are still some people in Fishersville who love the Lord. There are still some people in Waynesboro and Stanton who desire to follow Christ. There are some people in our area and in our state that love the things that we love. So when we look at the world, there are still some people out there who believe what this Bible says. These people cared enough about their friend to get him to Jesus. I wonder if we care enough about our friends to get them to Jesus. Whether that's through a conversation, or through inviting them to church, or through sharing your personal testimony, or giving them an invite card. Whatever it is, do we care enough about our friends to bring them to Jesus? You could make the argument here that the only reason they brought this man to Jesus was just to be healed. Maybe they personally didn't believe that Jesus was all that Jesus claimed to be, that he was the Savior and Lord and he was the Messiah. Maybe they didn't and we can speculate that. But when you think about they knew that Jesus was the only option for help for their friend. And that is our convicting point today. There are friends that all of us have that their only hope is Jesus. The only way their life is going to change and get better is because of Jesus. And we have the answer, church. But are we keeping it for ourselves or are we sharing it with other people? Vance Havner said this, Too many Christians are stuffing themselves with gospel blessings while millions have never even had a taste. Stuffing ourselves with gospel blessing. We hear the gospel again and again, week after week. Yes, praise the Lord. And uh, (laughs) even through song, we hear it again and again. Right on cue. Thank you, Brother Jamie, for doing that. Uh, but, But when you think about over and over, we have opportunity to share the gospel. And to invite other people, do we take that opportunity? We see the friends, but not only the friends that were mentioned, we see the faith that's mentioned. They get him to Jesus in verse 23. And he, verse 23, Jesus, took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town. Led him out of the town. Now, we already mentioned why. Speculate why. But knowing the need of this man, he leads him out of town. This is the only miracle mentioned in the Bible. That it wasn't immediate. You think about all the other people, dead, raised to life. Think about all the people, the lame walk, uh, the deaf can hear. All of these people, the, the dumb can speak. This is the only miracle mentioned in Scripture that's not instantaneous. It's gradual. We saw just a moment ago, he puts his hands on it, he spits on his eyes, sees, goes out and says, hey, what do you see? He said, I see men as trees walking. wasn't immediate. And But if the Lord was leading him away, think about it didn't require any faith for him to go with his friends. Everywhere he went, he had to be led. By other people. That wasn't anything new. But for them to hand him off to Jesus and for this man to walk away with Jesus required faith. Required faith on his part. He was letting go of what was familiar and he was holding on to faith. He was letting go of his friends who he had been with all of his life and who he knew what to expect there. And he was holding on to the unknown. And that's exactly what faith is. Faith is taking hold of something that you don't know what the end result will be. That's what faith is. When I come to Jesus, I don't know what the end result of the story is going to be. I don't know if God is going to say, hey, because now you're a follower of me, I want you to go to the unknown regions of the world and eat bugs the rest of your life and live in a hut. I don't know that. I don't know that. In in the back of my mind, I'm kind of thinking, uh, Lord, please call somebody else. You know, that's kind of the the initial thought. But you don't know. You don't know. So it is a step of faith. And while this man is taking a step of faith, Jesus gives him a seed of faith. Just a little small glimpse, no pun intended, of what could really be. He doesn't heal him instantly. He heals him gradually. Hey, do you trust me this much? And sometimes in our life, God does the same with us. God doesn't answer all of our prayer at one time. He answers a piece of it. Hey, God, I'm praying for this person to be saved. I'm praying that this person who has rejected you all their life. I'm praying for them to come to to church and hear the gospel and be saved. I want them to see salvation. And you don't hear of them getting saved, but they do agree to come to church. Or they do agree to take a track or an invite card. Or let you have a conversation about their testimony. It's never happened before. It's a small seed of what you've been praying for. It's not instant. But it is an answer. And sometimes we need to hold on to those small little seeds. And be thankful for them. One song says, in a field of doubt we should plant a seed of faith. In a field of doubt. Do you have a field of doubt this morning? Are you planting seeds of faith? Is God planting seeds of faith or letting you see some growth to what he's doing? You think about this man. He finally, in verse 25, is healed and was restored and saw every man clearly. There are moments in our life when we follow Jesus that everything is clear. We know what direction to go. And then there are some times when it's not clear. Or we hear something that says, hey, that's not really what I signed up for. Remember in John chapter 6, and verse 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples, people who have joined up with Jesus, who committed their lives to follow Jesus, went back and walked no more with him. Then said, Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? Hey, you see all your friends who are walking away from me. Are you going to follow them? Or are you going to follow me? When it gets more difficult to follow Jesus... Are you looking for a way out? When times get tough and our faith is tested, do you say, hey, this isn't what I signed up for, and you look for a way of escape. You look for an exit strategy. When the crowd walks away, do you rethink your commitment? When you think about others who don't go to church here anymore, does it make you think, well, maybe I'm at the wrong church too? That's what my friend said. That's what other people have said. Hey, when somebody else is upset, do I join up with them or do I say there's got to be something else that I'm missing? All of those things come into play. When times get tough, do you second guess what God has called you to do? Whether you're a Sunday school teacher or a servant or greeter or whatever, when times get tough or somebody gripes at you, do you bristle and say, hey, this is not what I signed up for? All of those things, Romans chapter 11, verse 29 says, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God calls us to things, expecting us to follow through and do those things and not to go back on. You think about this life, this need. This man had a need and Jesus met the need, but he met it in pieces. How many times have we given up too early when we're just getting the pieces and say, that's not what I prayed for, and we lose faith? or we stop trusting, stop believing, and we miss out. We see the faith. We see the friends. And then thirdly, we see the followers. This is the most pivotal moment so far as following Jesus. These men, finally. This is a question that every single person can answer in their life, but it's also the same question that every person will answer in their life. The decision that They made was the decision that all of us must make. Look at verse 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples in the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples as they're walking, just general conversation. Hey, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street, guys? You you guys know more people than I do. You grew up here. Tell me what people are saying. Tell me what people are saying as we're walking and as we're ministering. And and the men came back. You know, Some people say that you're a prophet. Some people say that you're Elijah or you're one of the other prophets. Some people say that you're John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Good, not great. Miracle worker, magician, but not the Messiah. All of those things. And we will all be faced with this question. And here it is. Jesus turns around and says, but who do you say that I am? Think about it. In your mind, don't answer out loud, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that Jesus is in your life? You know, Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Everything around us points to Him, points to a Creator. Everything around us points to there is somebody bigger than me in charge of everything. But do we acknowledge Him? Who do you say that He is? David Platt said, We realize that He is not merely a personal Lord and Savior who is worthy of individual approval. Ultimately, Jesus is the cosmic Lord and Savior who is worthy of everyone's eternal praise. Jesus asked the question, who am I, guys? Peter nails it. This is one of Peter's shining moments. And he says, thou art the Christ. The Christ. You know, Peter said, you're the one. You're the one. Jesus, you're the one who saves, who heals, who redeems. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the only one. But here's the question. As Jesus asks, Who do you say that I am? And as we contemplate what we would say, if you believe that Jesus is anything less than the Savior and Son of God, then you will never have hope, peace, forgiveness, and you'll never follow Jesus. That is the truth. If Jesus is anything less than Savior, Redeemer, and the Son of God, that's why. When you ask people their belief and what they believe personally about God and about Jesus, the one question you can ask and get the answer is, who is Jesus? Because the world says, well, he's a good man. He's a good teacher. He was a healer. He was a prophet. But anything less than the Son of God, you won't ever follow Jesus. Because if he is the Son of God like he claimed to be, then he is worthy Of our loyalty. He is worthy of our devotion. If He is who He claimed to be, then we all should stop whatever it is we think we're doing with our life and fall at His feet and follow Him. That is our calling. This blind man, who is Jesus to you? He comes to Jesus as the healer, but not only the blind man, that was the big point. Number two, we see the baffling message. The baffling message. As Jesus begins to talk to them, what would you do if Jesus told you what he was really doing in your life? You're praying, you're asking, you're trying to get God to answer you and show you what he wants to do, what his plans are for your life. What would you do if he actually told you? Most of us would be in shock, in awe. Oh man, please don't do that. I I can't do that. But until we get to the place where we can rightfully acknowledge who He is, He can't take us any deeper in a relationship with Him. We have to first acknowledge that He is the Christ. He is the Savior, the Son of God, the one that we follow. And then He can share with us deeper truths. And we see that in the rejection in verse 31. The rejection. Their declaration opens the door for Jesus to share a little bit greater truth with them. And here it is. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders of the chief priests and scribes, here it is, and be killed. That was not in their plan. Hey, Jesus isn't supposed to die. Jesus is the one who's supposed to redeem us and who's supposed to set all things right. He's the one who's supposed to restore order. None of this makes sense. If he was really the Messiah, why would he say these things? It was as Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, this is the direction that I'm going. I am going to die, fellas. I'm going to be rejected by all those people that you've looked up to all of your lives as the leaders. They're all going to reject me, deny me. This was even bigger than the previous question. This is the first time they had heard that Jesus was going to die. How would they do this? You know, Paul said... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, I die daily. So Paul understood that when Jesus asked you to follow him, it is literally saying, I'm signing away everything that I plan for my life, and I'm going to purposely follow Jesus. It was literally as if Paul said, all of those things that I plan, my goals, my dreams, my ambitions, I'm wiping them away for the purpose and pursuit of following Jesus. And that's our lives today. When we think about our life and our plan, you know what? We all have plans for our lives. We all have things that we would like to do. And I'm sure that not everybody can see this, but I'm sorry. This is the best we can do for today. We you think about my plans, all right, my plans for my life. Maybe some of these are your plans. My plans involve getting rich. Anybody against that plan? Okay, I didn't think so. All right, get married and have kids. Nobody against that one, okay. All right, have a good job. Anybody want a bad job? Okay, all right. Uh, To have good health. Anybody not want good health? All right, Uh, to make sure that everyone likes me. That's nice, all right. To not have any problems. Wouldn't that be a nice plan for our life? To have an easy life. All of those are great plans for our life. Thank you, guys, for getting that on the screen. These are great plans. These are great goals. But you know how we live our life? We want to design all of our plans for our life, and then we want to come down here and say, okay, God, sign this. Give me a guarantee that if I follow you, that I'll get all this stuff. How many of you know that God doesn't work that way? Understand that? God doesn't work that way. You know what God does? Instead of saying, hey, here's all of my plans, you know what God does? He does this. He says, now here's what I want you to do. This is God's plan. Right here. You see this line right here? Sign your name. We'll fill in the rest later. That is God's plan for our life. Say, Pastor, if I'm going to do that, isn't that going to require me to like, forget about all this other stuff? Yep. If I do this, that's going to require like faith or something. Yeah, or something. But church, we live so much on this side, focused on this side, that we don't even think about this side. We say, i got to have all my stuff. i got to be able to get rich and have a good retirement. And i got to be able to make sure that everybody likes me at work and everybody likes me at church and all those different things. Hey, if God is pleased with your life, doesn't matter if anybody else likes you. Because we're not standing before anybody else but God at the end of our life. How about your plan? Does your plan look more like this side? Or more like this side? Would you sign your name to this dotted line? Say, God, I don't know what you have for me. I don't know what you have in store for 2024. But I trust you enough that no matter what comes, you're going to be with me. And I know I might not know what's going to happen in May, June, July, August, September. But I know that my God is faithful. And He will be there in May, June, July, August, and September. And I know that I won't ever have to be alone. Sign your name, church. Because this is God's plan for us. Hey, wipe everything else off the whiteboard and say, do you trust Him? him enough to sign your name that's what it's all about for without faith it's impossible to please him without faith it requires signing your name to the bottom line not knowing what's going to be filled in at any moment hey some of you 2023 was a rough year some of you lost loved ones or almost lost loved ones some of you lost your jobs Some of you lost income. Some of you got really sick. Some of you had tragedies that you would not have put in your plan. But here's the thing. Is God trustworthy enough to sign your name? And God, I didn't like what happened, but it was a part of your plan, so I still trust you. How many times do we sign our name and then we start looking for the whiteout when things go bad? I I didn't really mean that, God. Do you trust him? That's what Jesus is trying to get them to see. Do you trust me? Which leads to the rebuke. Verse 32 and 33. And he spake that saying openly. Jesus didn't just say, okay guys, huddle up. up. Let me tell you something. He started talking about this publicly. That he was going to die. He was going to rise again. All these things. And Peter, remember that guy? Who just had a shining moment. He's getting ready to have a dumb moment. What's he do? And Peter took him. The implication is he pulls him over to the side, puts his arm around him and says, Hey, Jesus, you know that we love you. You know we trust you. We believe that you're the Christ. But you can't say things like that. You're going to destroy everything that we have worked for up to this point. Don't say things like that. And what does Jesus do? Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I probably shouldn't say stuff like that. And he, when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, disciples, This wasn't just Peter's opinion. This was all of their opinion. Looked on his disciples. He rebuked Peter. Now, this isn't just a, hey, Peter, don't talk like that. I'm the boss. You don't say anything. You're just a disciple. You're not even a good disciple. You know, you talk first, you think later, all those different things. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because Satan knew who Jesus was. Satan knew if Jesus goes to the cross and he dies, he's not staying dead. He knows that he has the power to rise again. Peter, the things that you're saying would come out of Satan's mouth. Not a follower of mine. A follower of mine would say, Jesus, if that's God's plan, we trust you. If that's God's plan, we'll follow you. The rebuke, this was a stark rebuke. But he needed to hear it. They needed to hear it, and sometimes we need to hear it. Sometimes we need to hear church, that's not God's plan for us. Hey, how many times have we tried to do things and God said, no, stop? There are many times. In the history, almost 40-year history of this church, next year will be 40 years. Many times God has said, no, don't do that. And in your life, He does the exact same thing. He says, no, I'm not going to let you do that. He stops us. There is a rebuke there. But so many times we wrongly assume that God is trying to do something over here and God is trying to, uh, trying to mess with my life and my plans and we try and put God in a box. Just a, a small case in point. The only time Jesus went into a place that was sealed up, He didn't stay there very long. So don't try and put Him in your box. He won't stay there. Jesus is not designed for a box. He said, I'm here that you might have life and life more abundantly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Courageously and actively doing God's will. Are you following him? Then number three, we see, lastly, the bold mandate. The bold mandate. Mandate. Look at verse number 34. How could they keep following someone who they knew had a shelf life? He was going to die. And we see their loss in verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said to them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Why would we follow somebody who is going to die? Why would we go that direction? Now, that's a great question. Why would Jesus ask you to die? Because when death is involved, it means that I don't get my way. How many of us, if we said, hey, man, I'd like to live a lot longer than the doctor says. How many of us would like to live a lot longer than I think I will? We all, nobody, hey, the song says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Okay? You think about our life. We want to live and keep living But Jesus is saying, if you are gonna follow me, you gotta be prepared to die. Be ready to die. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. There was no death involved in that statement. He said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. No death involved there. But here, Jesus says, take up your cross. In this culture, nobody ever picked up a cross without knowing that one day you were going to get nailed to it. Nobody. Now, I know we have cross jewelry and earrings and necklaces and all kinds of stuff, pictures on our wall. That was not their culture. That was not something they did. That was glorifying death. It would be like walking around with a noose hanging around your neck or jewelry that had a guillotine on it. All of these different things. Glorifying death. They knew what Jesus was saying. They knew what the cross represented. It meant, I'm going to die. And in our life today, this is the cost of following Jesus. Knowing that you're willing to forsake your dreams and your plans and your goals and everything that you had set in store for your life. Say, Pastor, do people really make that decision every day? day and they do it gladly we're the ones that struggle with it because we live in the good old U.S. of A. where everybody has equal opportunity and we have all these blessings that we really don't need yet Jesus says follow me follow me in his book The Barbarian Way Erwin McManus said this Jesus' death wasn't to free us from dying but to free us from the fear of death Jesus came to liberate us so that we could die up front and then live. Jesus Christ wants to take us to places where only dead men and women can go. Where only dead men and women can go. When you're dead to self, you don't care what somebody says about you. When you're dead to self, you don't care if somebody criticizes your walk with Jesus. When you're dead to self, You don't care if somebody says you're wearing a tie or not. When you're dead to self, none of those things matter because you're dead. But we're dead in Christ. And when we're dead in Christ, we live a life beyond expectation. That is why Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Think about your life today. It's literally saying that I have... Goals and dreams and things that I want to accomplish in my life that cannot be accomplished any other way. This is your life. This is my plan, my dream. This is what I want. And Jesus says, hey, but I have, I have something over here that I want, but I can't mix the two together. I have to have you empty yourself of self first. I'm not going to pour my life on top of your filth on top of your life, on top of your dreams and goals and desires to where they blend together. It doesn't work that way. Following Jesus is literally saying, Lord, I trust you enough. I'll sign that contract. I'll put my name there at the bottom so that I can empty me of self so that I can be filled with him. That's what following Jesus is all about, to where he says, you know what? I can't fill you with me if you're still full of you. But if you're willing to empty yourself of you, I'll fill you with me. And that is what the disciples needed to hear. And church, that's what we need to hear. We need 2024. Hey, it's a new year. It's a new start. There is this opportunity. They need to lose some things so that they could lastly show their loyalty. Jesus says, for what shall it profit a man if he'll gain the whole world? And lose his own soul. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Having it all means nothing without Jesus. Having it all means nothing without Christ. And if the true purpose and goal of our lives is to bring honor and glory to Him, then why am I pursuing the things that are temporal instead of the things that are eternal? The things on this side, my plans, they're temporary. These are the things that are eternal. Because God wants to bring himself glory. Remember, he said in Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you. No. Glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10 says, for we are his workmanship. We're his workers. We're his workforce. We're the ones who are to bring glory to him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. I read that passage this morning. Before you even had a pulse, you had a purpose. Think about the fact that God has a purpose for your life, but are you fulfilling it? The only way you fulfill God's purpose for your life, sign the dotted line. Because you're not going to fulfill God's purpose when we're focused on my plan, on what I want. We fulfill His purpose when we say, God, what do you want? And I trust you enough that I'll sign my name to that contract. And whatever you bring my way in 2024, I might not like it. But I love you. And I trust you. And wherever you lead me, I'm willing to follow you. That is our goal. And say, Pastor, is that going to be an easy year? No, I'm already anticipating it's not. already anticipating it won't be. Because the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's not going to be easy. But it will be blessed. So do you want an easy life today? Or do you want to see God work in an amazing way through your life? You might not get both. Which one do you want more? Every head bound, every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. You haven't made that decision for yourself. You haven't trusted Christ as your personal Savior. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to point you out or call your name or send somebody to talk to you. I would like to pray for you. Maybe if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I am a follower of Jesus. I, I don't know Maybe there's times in your life when you can point and say, maybe then, but I'm just not sure. You're not convinced. Hey, could I pray for you? I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. Uh, Pastor, just pray for me. Don't call me out, but pray for me. Could I be your friend this morning and pray for you? If you're not a follower of Jesus, God already knows your heart, but would you simply acknowledge what God has already shown you in your heart? With no one looking around, not to embarrass you, but would you simply slip up your hand long enough for me to see it? You can put it right back down. Pastor, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Pray for me. Is that you? Is that you? I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Pastor, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Please pray for me. I don't know. I, maybe you don't even know what to do to be a follower of Jesus. Pastor, I, that's not me. That's not my testimony. I, I don't know. I don't have that settling in my heart that I'm a follower of Jesus. Is that you? Is that you? I don't want to miss you. I just want to pray for you. Maybe you're hearing and you say, hey, I, I know, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you know what that walk with Jesus looks like. And it looks like more like you following your plan and your agenda than following his. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you saying in your life, hey, that needs to change. This first Sunday in January 2024, I need to take that eraser out, wipe off my plans for my life, And I need to ask the Lord to fill in the details whenever He sees fit. But go ahead and sign the the dotted line that wherever He leads you this year, you're going to follow Him. Whatever He does through your life this year, you're going to trust Him. Wherever He takes you this year, He already has a long track record of faithfulness. And you can follow Him. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you would... Right there in your seat, you would commit that whatever happens this year, you're going to follow him. Would you trust him enough to sign your name at the bottom of that dotted line with that blank sheet and let him fill in the blanks when he sees fit? He did pay it all. He's worthy of it all. But do we trust him enough to go where he leads? The altar's open if you want to come pray. Our personal workers are down front and behind you wearing badges that say, can I pray for you? We don't mean that just as a cool thing to go on a name tag. We are sincere about that. If you need someone to pray with you, be honored to do that. If you want to come and pray silently or pray there in your seat, you're welcome to do that. The team's going to sing that song we sang just a moment ago, Jesus Paid It All. We're not going to have everyone sing this morning. The team's going to sing and just let you think about Where you stand with the Lord this first Sunday in January, 2024. Not even going to have you stand. Just going to let you sit there and ponder, reflect. What does God want me to do this year? Father, please speak to hearts as only you can. And do a work in us, we pray. Search us and help us to be willing to trust you enough to follow you wherever you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Team sing.